Welcome to So Many Sequels. I am Josh. I am Andrew. I'm Garrett. Wow. Y'all choked up before the movie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He's already... Andrew's already falling apart. Yeah, shut up. Uh, to, uh, <laughs> Fists are flying. They are. They are. This episode of So Many Sequels, we are talking about Ocean's 12. 12. Last time we talked about Ocean's 11. Now we're on to 12. They just keep adding numbers. Did we do 1 group. through 10? Uh, we decided to skip Oceans 1 through 10. Oh, okay. Why? You got something against Start with 11. Yeah, no one really remembers those ones. They don't ever talk about them. Yeah, that's, yeah, true. that's true. So we're on to Ocean... <laughs> I don't know what that was. What? Where did it come from? That was... I unmuted my computer for a hot second, and then there was music, but there's absolutely nothing playing, so I don't know what happened. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway, uh, Oceans 12... <laughs> Came out December 2004, directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Andy Garcia, Don Cheadle, Bernie Mac, Julia Roberts, and so many more people. Basically all of the same, plus Catherine Zeta-Jones. It made $362 million worldwide, and in this installment of the Ocean series... Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes Andrew just has to boom. He's got a a boom, boom. Boom, boom. Oh. No. Last time we saw the the, the group, um, they just completed a successful heist of uh, the Bellagio, the MGM Grand, and the last one that I never remember, and no one else will either. So the I'm mirage. just going to keep the Mirage. Yeah, it's the say Mirage. That. Um, Boom! They stole millions and millions of dollars out Boom. of that. One hundred sixty-eight million to be exact. Boom! And they slid right out. So now one hundred sixty-three. Sorry. <laughs> Terry Benedict, the owner of those casinos, <clears throat> has figured out who stole his money, and he wants it back. My God. So he's tracked each one of them down, <clears throat> tells them, you have to give me all my money back with interest or else. And all the Oceans group, to my surprise, were just like, okay, yeah. and decided to do it. I thought it was a little too easy, uh-huh. but we'll get into that. Yeah. yeah. Let's, yeah. <clears throat> Because I have some stuff to say on that, too. So, but they can't just go go gallivanting across the U.S. stealing stuff from casinos anymore because they're too high profile. Mm, yep. So they go to Europe, and, they're, and there you go. They yep. go to Europe because um, that's where sequels often they, they just go, go to, to Europe. They go to Amsterdam. So where do we want to start? I want to uh, – let's just start with the beginning. Let's do it. And right. Terry Benedict figuring out who all of these people are addressing them he goes to each person person by person and that's another one of those kind of like uh in the in the last one i talked about how they had these narrated montages and this is not really that but it gives you an idea to see where each person is regarding uh i, I get what well, this is like maybe three years post heist from the first one Right, right before they're brought back together, you kind of see where their individual lives have taken them. Right, and so, like, I like some of the things, like, Bernie Mac was uh, at a nail salon. It goes back to his, like, handshaking thing. Uh, The brothers, uh, Casey Affleck is getting married, and he thanks everybody but Scott Kahn at the table, and Terry Benedict shows up at each of these places. Um, I just... I, I want to go, I really want to talk about right off the bat how how seemingly easy it was to get these people to just 
willingly be like, oh man, stuff is messed up. I guess we'll just have to pay back all this money. Yeah, it bothered me. I thought the same thing. It was not the way their characters were. It seemed like this whole thing went against like all of the stuff that they set up. They were just so willingly ready to give up and quit. Mm -hmm. Except for Saul. No, Saul straight up gave up and quit. He was like, I'm going to go live out my life, but I'm not going to give him the money back because I'm just going to quit doing everything. But I mean, like he, he straight up just quit. He didn't he, even right. You know. But he he. What I think Andrew said is he did it the right way. Like he just went, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just I, going away. Yeah. Because at that point, you've got millions of dollars. Why would you keep heisting? That's yeah. stupid. There you go. They all should have stopped. <clears throat> they yeah. all had millions of dollars, and to to uh, it seemed as if they were done. Yeah. Until until they got found out. Benedict caught them all right and they kind of bring that up when they're later on in the movie when they're in europe and george clooney is like maybe we just turn ourselves in we get 20 25 years and then he can't do anything to us that, like, just, that was like it just seemed like they, they were so just ready to give up yeah, and it, yeah. it was so contrary to what we had they were ingenuitive they were resourceful they were smart and then they were just like ah oh, crap yeah. yeah yeah i didn't care for it it was not a strong way to start no no Mm-mm. Realistically, for me, I didn't get into this movie until about I don't know an hour and a half in. It was slow. Wow, that's <clears throat> you, that's that's more very, than half into the movie. Yeah, because it's a two-hour movie. But once uh, I'm trying to find my note where I say that, but like there was a part where they they all start getting caught. Yes, and, and then it's like, yeah. oh, okay. Maybe, so, what is what are they going? That's whenever they finally had me. Because from then on, it was just like, okay, they're gonna pull this job. They're gonna get uh, what two million or whatever for the antique thing that they were trying to steal. Yeah, t- two two and a half million euros for the the first ever like bank stock yeah, or bank something. Stock, yeah, from the uh, Dutch trading company or something like that. Yeah, like Jack Sparrow. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> So like I was just like what this is not this is so far beneath yeah right and they point that out they uh-huh. they acknowledge that it's beneath them but they're told well we start here and and the jackpot goes up mm-hmm. with each with each job but they had to start at the bottom for some reason it still doesn't make sense to me yeah you think he'd say I don't know we we you may not have heard uh, robbed three major casinos in one fell swoop. Uh, maybe emptying some old man's safe is a little beneath us. Tell, but they didn't. Tell Hagrid to get out that damn wizard and wave it around so they can get a better job because Hagrid, for those of you that haven't seen the movie, was the, the guy that they were trying to oh, get yeah. the job from. I forgot that was Hagrid. Yeah. yeah. I did, there were some, I mean, the the wittiness was there. Um, there was a little more excessive silliness. Yeah, I thought the wittiness yeah. was a little too hammy. It was a little ham-fisted. Um, I didn't, it was just too jokey. It was too jokey. Like, I didn't care for the part where they're just, uh, where George Clooney is clearly upset that no one knows how old he is and he, they think he's older. Oh, really? Than he is. Yeah, I did like that. For me, that was, uh, that was the part where I laughed the most at that point in time. Really? Because it was like, this, why would, why would... Danny cares. This is not a yeah. thing he would care about. No. I get that. For me, I think it was one of those things where it's like, you know, three of them had just been made by Catherine Zeta Jones's character. I don't remember her name uh, in the movie, but she went to their hotel room and fa- and they and she saw Rusty and she saw Danny and she saw Yin, and then so they're trying they're trying to change their plan 
and they're all at the bus stop. And it just goes back to the first movie where they're so nonchalant about everything. Mm-hmm. And it, for me, it was just like, a, you've got bigger things to worry about, but he's like, how old do you think I am? Like, I'm not that old. Fun fact, at the time, he was 42. So, but I, uh, so, so yeah, I, I said that was, at that point in time, that was one of the funnier parts for me. Mm. Yeah. I also like the beginning when you're getting a, ch- you're seeing the, the rusty Catherine Zeta-Jones relationship. Yeah. Where he's still thieving. Uh, I assume this is pu- prior it to the heist. It doesn't really say. I'm right. Gonna, yeah, the timeline is a little weird mm. uh, because they don't ever say when it happened. They said three and a half years ago, but it didn't say from where. Yeah, that was, for me, that was poorly managed because I didn't even connect. I didn't even realize that was Catherine Zeta-Jones until the movie was over and I was done with it. And then I thought about it later. Oh, really? I oh, just really? thought that was just Rusty and some random woman yeah. in the oh. past. Nope, they didn't. Okay. That was not clear to me at all. Yeah. Okay. I, I well, like... she doesn't get a lot of camera time in no. that, in that opening scene. No, no, she doesn't. She's in bed and most And she's of the in time. bed most of it. So I didn't even consider that that person was important to the world, to the, mm-hmm. to the story. What I liked about it was she's a she's a detective or a police or whatever her title is. Mm-hmm. And he's still thieving. And she's taught, he's like, how's your day? And then she goes through, ah, oh, we got a break in this case. We found a boot. And he's like showing his boot. And he's like, oh, really? And he like hides his shoe because the boot print is his shoe print. And then she says that she gets a hair. And they're testing it and talking about how they'll know if he dyes his hair, if he has dandruff and da da da. And he's in the bathroom and he looks up and there's, there's a shot of all his hair care products. And I thought that was kind of clever. <laughs> yeah, the hair, the hair part was funny. Um... I think my favorite part of the film was when Julia Roberts was playing herself. Ah, interesting. I, that's a, con, uh, a point of contention. Well, see, the reason why I like that is just how everything plays about. And Bruce Willis is entered is entered into this. Right. And Bruce Willis is playing Bruce Willis, and there she's trying to play it off as much as she can. And I I just loved how everything just kind of came together because. Uh, when Julia Roberts in this movie sees Bruce Willis, she goes just oh, just hog wild, and of course she gets on the phone or he gets on the phone with Julia Roberts, and Julia Roberts is talking to Julia Roberts. I love that part of the film. I that was my favorite part up and and all the way up until they got caught. I'm just mm-hmm. like it, that that right there just that right there. I I loved. That's where I thought the silliness was turned up a little too much. Mm-hmm. I did like a lot in Ocean's Eleven when Topher Grace and Joshua Jackson play themselves. I thought that was clever and fun. But turning it so meta that yeah. Julia Roberts' character Tess is going to pretend to be the real Julia Roberts because she looks like her mm-hmm. was a little overboard for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't I wouldn't say I flat out disliked it. I just kind of like smirked and went, really? Mm. Yeah. And then Bruce Willis was kind of unnecessary. He just felt like a cameo that was thrown in there. And I don't like it when cameos don't have some purpose. Yeah. So when yeah, I, I when I was doing some research, I learned that Bruce Willis was actually one of the people that was in line to play Danny Ocean in Ocean's Eleven, but he had to pull out due to scheduling conflicts. So that might be a reason as to why he was thrown in there. I didn't necessarily care for the Julia Roberts inception because 
it it goes back to a conversation we had in the previous podcast, which you should go listen to if you haven't, uh, where we talk about how if Topher Grace is Topher Grace and Joshua Jackson is Joshua Jackson, this creates a reality where you would assume that Brad Pitt and George Clooney and Matt Damon and Julia Roberts all exist. And so that implies that Danny Ocean is George Clooney. Or are they doppelgangers? Well, it it implied to me that... They're in the Matrix, people. (laughs) They're in the Matrix. We might get to the Matrix at some point. That's hot damn. That's the thing that might happen. Pay attention. It implied to me in that first one that those actors didn't exist... Because they were the characters, if you remember from from the last episode mm-hmm. that you can find online, they were just. Gorgeous. Is if Topher Grace exists, but George Clooney is Danny Ocean, then George Clooney can't exist. They were just gorgeous but looking people. Stealing was gorgeous stuff. fixed in Ocean's Twelve, where we find out that Julia Roberts does in fact exist. Ah, because Tess looks like her. Right, so in theory, you would think that Brad Pitt would know that he looks like Brad Pitt. George Clo- or Danny Ocean would know he looks like George Clooney. Matt uh, Linus would know he looks like Matt Damon, and it would just continue along this long line of like, hey, I look like this really super famous fucking person. And it doesn't really do this. So I don't know. It just cre- it created a weird... <sighs> yeah, me- the meta-ness was just a little weird, and I, I didn't care for it. I mean, I mean, you, I mean I, you can take it. I mean, it's all good, but I understand, <clears throat> excuse me, I understand that, like, you know, the meta thing can get a little strange, but the, I, I just, I just thought it was just a nice break from the film, you know, just kind of a, it, you know, just, just like it's not taking itself too seriously, so, yeah. Uh, in an interview, um, Steven Soderbergh, the director, was mm-hmm. asked about what the studio thought of that, mm-hmm. um, well, they asked what they thought about Ocean's Twelve back then because it wasn't received well, and yeah. we haven't really said that yet. This movie's not really well liked. It's considered one of among the worst sequels of all time. Mm-hmm. I think it was number sixteen on Entertainment Weekly's list of worst sequels ever. Wow! So it's not really loved. So they wanted to know what the studio thought, and he said that the only point of contention with the studio was the Julia Roberts scene. Oh, uh, they were unsure that it would work. They were not confident in it, but he assured them, no, it's going to work. There's a precedent. It's been done before. It's going to work. People will be able to follow it. But he understood uh, Warner Brothers' point of view that it was a weird idea um, to try. And mm. he mentions later that just the how silly the movie is overall and how it's done with all these huge megastars that there is no way... It could be made today. Just the studio dynamic has changed so much that he doesn't think that they would even let an Ocean's Twelve be made today like wow. it was then. Well, and I wonder if, and this is not uh, knocking on the actors by any means, but I wonder if because in order to get this many A-list characters or people, they had to take pay cuts, and I just wonder if they would do that if they didn't really feel invested in the movie. Obviously, if you're like, if it's something that you're invested in, then sure. But I just don't think that you could get that many people to take the necessary pay cuts in order to make a regular movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah, that's that's maybe they're maybe they're looking for lightning in a bottle twice. You know, 
And that's that's a very hard thing to do. Yeah, and that's another thing that, that he mentioned in, in this interview is that he thinks a lot of people expected a uh, remake, so to say, of the first one where it followed the same structure and they didn't do that. He threw it all out the window and he thinks people didn't care for that. And another piece I read mentioned that this movie really doesn't focus on the on the eleven as much as the first one does. Mm-hmm. This one you kinda just get the George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon yeah. power of hour movie. Yeah. And people didn't really want that. They wanted all of them like yeah. they got last time. And I think it's really what honestly I think that's what killed it for me. Like I I'll I'll be str- I'll be straight up. This was not this was not one of my favorite sequels. And was it your sixteenth worst favorite one? Mm, pretty close wow like (laughs) uh no this really wasn't one of my favorites i just uh, you know watching it uh, you know watch and this is the first time i ever watched it i'm it got to the point it got to the point where i just felt like you know i really just don't care about this movie anymore i think it, it got to maybe about maybe about an hour in you're just like you know what else are they gonna do yeah, now it's just like we're we're seeing all these familiar faces. We're seeing all these familiar people. They're doing something. What what are they going to do? You know, and it's just like, oh, okay, they did this. Oh, okay, they did that. And it got to the point where I was just like, I really don't care anymore. You know. Yeah. It's not. It it just it just lacked the energy that the first one had. Here's a quote from from Soderbergh about uh, his reaction to people who didn't like the movie and whether or not it was for the right or wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. He said, obviously people can say whatever they want, but I could never hate something that's at least even on a superficial level beautiful to look at. I reserve that kind of ire for what I consider to be actual filmmaking incompetence. So it's legit for somebody to say, I didn't like it, it didn't work for me. But if you can't say that and then acknowledge that it's spectacular to look at and the score is just fantastic, then you're kind of outing yourself as taking a sort of ideological position about the movie that's separate from the movie. You've got an agenda here because you're not even acknowledging the things that by any standards are worth acknowledging. That shit makes me a little crazy. Can't you separate out anything that you think is good? Just good? I did like the soundtrack. Yeah. So how do you react to that? The soundtrack The soundtrack was okay. I loved how, like, there was one particular sequence when they were talking about the egg, about the how the egg was golden, mm-hmm. but everything else was black and white. I love that sequence. Yeah, I thought that was a great sequence. I thought the the cinematography, and I'm nodding towards uh, Steven Soderbergh here because he was the cinematographer. I think it was fantastic. I I love the editing of it. I loved uh, I loved how the that ending came together whenever they were all arrested. And it all just kind of pieced itself in. I thought that was great, but it everything towards the lead up just wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. No, I agree with him that you can you can look at a movie and say it wasn't for me, but it still looked good. And this is one of those movies where I do think it did look yeah, very good. It was it technically looked. well made. Just the story and everything about it didn't quite come together like it maybe should have. No. Certainly not like the first one did. No. If there's one note I have about uh, the visuals of, and how it looked, is it's that I... Th- we talked about this in, in our Empire Strikes Back episode. Uh, this movie is full of awkward transitions. 
Yeah. It's got weird wipes and fades that are just... Uh, I feel like they're kind of... They didn't work. I feel for like... For me. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I feel like they're kind of piggybacking off of like like the 50s or the 60s. Yeah, and I could tell that at times because they would do those long, slow zooms from time yeah. to time. And I liked those. I just didn't like the weird transitions. Like the... I remember one, they had like the bars that came in and connected. Yeah, that it, that happened. I thought that was strange. Nah, no, 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 no. <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally get what you're coming from. And I just go back to the story in general. Like there were parts of it that I liked and we'll go over those in a minute. But like, I felt like, at least in the first half, I, they did not do... The the reason I like the the first one so much a lot, uh, one of the reasons is because they explain things so well. You yeah. even there, even though they're doing this elaborate, crazy heist, you seem to be able to follow along with everything they're doing because of how they're explaining it. And I don't think they did that very well in the first half. No, there's a one of the heists that they try to do is they're trying to break into this guy's house and steal that banknote or whatever, and they have to raise the dude's house. But they didn't really do a good job of explaining like how that came to be, what they were doing. Yeah. Did they install those things underneath? Like, how could you just go underneath and and mess with that? Like, was, they didn't really do a good job of explaining what they were doing and and the reasons for it. Yeah. In the first half, and and then in the second half, when they were explaining how the oceans crew got one over the night fox. That whole thing is explained in a montage that isn't talked about. You just have to watch it and pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, I don't think the explanations of how these particular heists happened were as executed as well in yeah. this one. We no. didn't even talk about the Night Fox. Yeah, I wanted to bring him up because he, what a little bitch this guy was. <laughs> I did not like him. He, so. There's no honor among thieves, as they say, but like uh, they they set up a reality where like it's not cool to oust somebody. So night we find out that Night Fox is the guy that let Terry Benedict know who these people were that stole mm-hmm. from him. He broke the the rule, and so the reason he did it is because his mentor or he said something about him being the greatest thief of all time or. Somebody said that the Ocean's crew was the greatest thieves of all time. And they said that to the guy's mentor when Night Fox was there. And the mentor didn't change it or correct him and say, no, this guy's the greatest thief. And so he want, he ousted them just so he could challenge him. What a little bitch. Just be like, I think I'm better than you. Let's, let's have a thief off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, don't break these rules. That's not cool. Just because you're insecure and your feelings were hurt. Not cool, Night Fox. Yeah, the Night Fox. Yeah, that's all I got to say about the Night Fox because I, <laughs> the Night Fox didn't say anything. The Night Fox said his name. No, you you. That's all I got to say about the Night Fox. The Night Fox. You pretty much said you pretty much said everything about it. But uh, I will say that, um, I thought the Night Fox was Catherine Zeta Jones. Like, oh, that, really? Yeah, that's the Interpol it, or the Europol agent. Yeah. Okay. And the reason why is because like. You never, like, she kind of came out of nowhere. She was, uh, like, as a plot device, she could have been used as, like, you know, since she's working for Interpol, the company that's trying to find them, and they can't find them, 
it would make kind of it would it would be kind of interesting if she perhaps turned out to be the thief. At least that's how I think. Yeah. You know, and I, I was I was listening very closely to those uh, to those phone conversations whenever they were whenever the fox was talking to Benedict. I'm like, that could be her. That could be her. That could be her. That could be her. Maybe. And of course, I was wrong. But <laughs> but you know, that's you know, in a caper, you got you got to take all type of possibilities here. Because you don't know who's who and who's doing what. And especially in a Steven Soderbergh caper. I just thought the whole aspect of the Ocean's crew versus the Night Fox in like a challenge was silly. And I just was like, that that seemed beneath everyone. Yeah. Like, do we really need it? How about we don't? Yeah. How about we just don't do that, Mr. Uh Night Fox? Right. Uh, Because we're not children and you clearly are one. Mm Mm-hmm. As you dance through the laser beams. See, oh, I yeah, liked. I, I did that. like that scene. Really, I thought it was interesting just because. Well, I guess like is not the right word. I thought it was interesting just because I like those like laser scenes like that. Yeah. However, what I questioned was in the oceans recon of it. The guy was like, "You can't prepare for this. It's set to random. There's no way to plan for it. So we can't do it at night. That's the whole reason that they did it in the day." So how was he able to know that his dance moves would pay off? Because in the build up to the heist, you see him dancing and like doing like some kind of like parkour break dancing stuff in his mansion, and then you learn that that is the reason that he was preparing for it. But if the whole thing is supposed to be random, and thus the reason that you cannot do this job at night, how yeah. is he able to do it at night and prepare for these random lasers? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that Night Fox guy. I feel anyone who goes by know. a name like that, I'm like, I don't know about you. I don't even know what his real name was. Something. Did, something. Did they, did they say it? They, they said what? his name ding, a few ding, times. Ding, 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 ding. No. What, did, what did the fox say? <laughs> I see what you did there. Boom. It's not Ow. his name. Maybe what he said, though. Well, uh, we talked earlier about how you don't get to see as much of the the entire team as you did in the first one. Mm. And I just realized that kind of made me sad because we talked last time about uh, who was our favorite member and that what they did. And I, you just didn't, they just didn't get an opportunity for that in this it was, one. It was either Brad, um, Clooney, or... Damon. Damon. Because, it, well, at one point, everyone's kind of gone. And arrested and everything. Mm-hmm. So you're left with just Matt Damon and Don Cheadle. And who's the other one? Scott Kahn. Yes, Scott Kahn. So I liked <clears throat> I liked that part because it set up... The whole movie was kind of like Matt Damon... Well, not the whole movie, but a part of the crux of the movie was that Matt Damon wanted to be more involved. He he felt like he was the, the new kid on the block, got left behind in the last movie. He was like, I want to step up and do more. And so what I thought was really funny <clears throat> was when they were going to meet, I'm going to call him Hagrid because Matsui was his name in the movie, but he's Hagrid. Robbie Coltrane, I think. Is yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he, they were all in this meeting oh. and then they start yeah. speaking nonsense. So, and Matt Damon is like, or Linus is like, I don't understand what's happening. So, uh, Rusty will say something ridiculous and then Matsui will be like, do you agree? And Linus was like, uh, okay. So then Danny Ocean would say something, and he would look confused. And then finally, 
uh, Linus started quoting lyrics from a Led Zeppelin song. And they just looked at him and said, they, they took him outside and he goes, what just happened in there? And he said, and they tell him, you said that you, or they said, you called his niece a whore, a very cheap one. She's seven and currently confined to bed with some kind of disease. And he's like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. And so it just plays to that. And then all of a sudden everybody gets busted and he now has to run point. And so I liked what he did. I like the fact that when they're trying to formulate a plan, they have these interesting names. So the plan that they ended up doing was a looky-loo with a bundle of joy at the end. Mm -hmm. And the looky-loo refers to someone who looks like someone else. Bundle of joy, I assume, is because she's also pregnant. And so they're trying to do a combination of the two things. Mm -hmm. But that's when I finally got interested in it because they all got caught. You know... Uh, they all a few of them got made. Saul shows up, and then they all get arrested. And then I'm like, okay, well, here's an interesting twist in the movie that I didn't see coming. Every single one of them was arrested. Every single one of them was taken out of the ability to do their job. So how are they going to get out? And then all of a sudden, you realize that Matt Damon had to call his mom to come bail them out. And I, I thought I, that I thought, was very funny. That was a nice little twist yeah. that I didn't see coming in it. So it was. That was a nice little part. Yeah. Um, Clint Eastwood, fun fact, was nearly played the Matt Damon's father in a cameo appearance. Appearance. Peter Fonda eventually took the role in a scene that got cut from the movie. That would have been interesting to mm. see. Because as we all, I think Matt Damon's father in this movie trilogy is some kind of like well-known thief. Yeah, yeah that's like, how he found him. Like, like yeah. Bobby Caldwell. Right. Yeah. And so it would have been interesting to have that, but that obviously got cut. Mm-hmm. I've been... I've, I've read a, I read a little, a kind of fun little trivia fact about Matt Damon in this movie that I was trying to find so I could get it verbatim. But I couldn't, but I remember the gist of it was that it's kind of funny because Matt Damon in real life, according to what I read, it could be, could be wrong because I can't find it. <laughs> But uh, happens. was kind of the opposite of his character because he wanted less to do in this movie Oh, because he just finished the Bourne Ultimatum and he was like, I can't, I can't, I need to slow it down. And Soderbergh was like, no, how about no? And denied his request because Linus needed to do more in this movie, but Damon wanted to do less. Oh. So it's kind of interesting. But the script was adjusted for Julia Roberts because she was, uh, she discovered that she was pregnant with twins. Well, that's different. Yes, it is. Not <laughs> trying to compare the two. Uh, Ricky Gervais was also going to... I. Assu- it doesn't say what part that he's gonna. he was supposed to play, but he turned down a part in the movie saying, why say a couple of lines opposite Brad Pitt when I could be playing a lead back home? I assume that he would have taken the Eddie Izzard gig and been the, the guy that created the, the hologram of the egg. I agree with him. That yeah. was a smart roof. Yeah. This movie has unnecessary cameos. It does. And it just... Eddie it Izzard takes, is better than that. It takes you out of the moment. Yeah. It, like, Eddie Izzard takes you out. Brad, uh, not Brad, Bruce Willis takes you yeah. out because you're like, what? Ah, you're suddenly yeah. not involved in the story anymore. I don't I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, and it just just another reason why I just, I really didn't care for this movie. Like, it was okay. I'm glad I saw it. Probably never watch it again. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's enjoyable. It is fun. 
But when you have to compare it to Ocean's Eleven, yeah, it know. is hard to stand up to it. If this it. was the first movie in a series, I would have a different opinion of it, I think. You can't do it. But the fact that it's the sequel I think hurts it. you said that some of the, or maybe I read this, but some of the things that Soderbergh tried to do was kind of give more nods to the audience and, and kind of be like, yeah, we know this is like so many people, so we're going to have some fun with it. One of the things that I really, 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 really hated in the beginning of the movie was when Basher was in the recording studio with the other guy and they were making some kind of rap song and they kept bleeping all of the swear words. That was super weird. It didn't didn't, make sense. No, it was dumb and I didn't like it. I didn't think it was funny. Like, it just, it didn't work and I didn't understand the point of it. There was no point. Although I will say, uh, I'll give some somewhat props to it. Because each bleep was one less word I had to hear in Don Cheadle's terrible accent. I think his accent was worse in this one. And yeah. I don't know how that's possible, but I made a note that it was, it seemed like it was so much worse. And it was bad in the first one. I don't know how it could have gotten worse. Well, that may have been, may have been his part. He was just like, you know what? I did it bad. I did it bad here. I wasn't Maybe able- just blow it up. Yeah, I wasn't able to do I wasn't able to get out of this movie. Well... Sorry, I'm going to make it even worse. Yeah. Yeah, because it certainly was not fun. Mission accomplished. I did think, you know, there. Were, I didn't have a lot of negatives for the first one. I had some questions. No. I had some, so there was a few plot holes that I thought. But one of the major plot holes in this one was it when they're, first of all, what kind of damn jail puts every single person involved in a crime in the same jail cell? <laughs> Like, they were all in the same they, damn cell, except Julia Roberts when she got caught put somewhere else, which yeah, I up. But my question was, how did they know, while they were in jail, that Tess was involved? Because there was a whole scene about them bringing it in, or bringing her in, and I was like, how do y'all know there's nobody talking to you? You guys, and, but one of the things that, to counterpoint to that is, I did enjoy Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, because of the fact that her father was a, a thief, her mother was not, and she was a police officer or a detective or whatever, dating a oh, thief. Yeah. So I liked all of those dynamics, and then at the end you find out that her father is one of the most notorious thieves, Lamarck, who was the mentor of the Night Fox, who who also was the reason why the Ocean's crew was able to pull off the heist and get over Nightbox. So I thought that was yeah. an interesting dynamic for her character. It was good. It wasn't as good of a twist as we got in the first Oceans, but no. it was a good twist just for what it was. But, uh, you know, since we're talking about cameos for a second, um, I just want to add that, like, I did not I did not expect Albert Finney to be in this. Um, Albert Finney was uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones' dad oh. in this movie. And... I think, for starters, I think Albert Finney is a magnanimous actor, and I think he, I you know, for his two minutes on film in this, I thought he was great, but, um, but yeah, I mean, probably, probably a, uh, probably not really needed. I don't think it was a plot point that it was just didn't really need to be brought up, but you know, that's just me. Yeah. So. And like, why did Topher Grace come back? Why did Topher yeah, Grace come back? He's just kind of there. Just kind of there for Brad Pitt to show up and knock on his door. It's like he had a mental breakdown. Yeah, he did. His hair was long and he was freaking out. His The hotel room was a mess. Yeah, his... So he had like spray painted the glass window or something. Something, glass about, window, something, glass about, his, something about his girlfriend. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It was weird. Well. Topher, I don't know what happened between Oceans 11 and 12, but... He, get your shit together, son. What, going back to the, that's the opening sequence where Terry Benedict is uh, getting all these people, and I'm trying to decide why he thought it was necessary to get so violent with Rusty in, the, in nah, that one, because know. he blew up his car. If anything, he would want to blow up the car did. of Danny Ocean. Like, that That was a, a not proportionate response Yeah, know, to blow up his car like that. Yeah, like, I, I get you, want, like, you were trying to send a message to everybody, but why Rusty? I guess because he's, I mean, he's he was just, the voice, I guess, he's just but. as good as the ringleader. Like, Rusty and, and Danny are, they're on a level playing field. What I, I think my favorite part of the movie is whenever they finally get together and they have the reunion and they're all complaining about the fact that he called it Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah. we, we agreed not to have any. And like, every single person weighs in and Matt Damon is trying to, defend in a way Danny Ocean and was like when you have a problem who do you call and everybody goes Rusty <laughs> it's true he was like oh well and I mean you know in Ocean's Eleven Danny got taken off the off the job for a little bit uh-huh. he's so, been caught twice and I know that was part of the plan in the first one but it wasn't in the second one he's more of just like hey I got an idea yeah and then you guys do right uh this you know as, as much as we're harping on it uh, this one is in fact Soderbergh's favorite. Yeah, I he, don't know. In this, uh, I don't know about that. Uh, in this Rolling Stone article, he says uh, it was less profitable than the two. Um, yet the second Ocean's movie is fondly remembered by its director. Given more creative freedom, Soderbergh threw in more winks at the audience, and he experimented with the style of film in a way as he thinks makes it hold up better today as a piece of cinematic art. Kind of like what you you had referenced earlier, but yeah, so I think that's why he likes. I mean, it he looks at it f- again from what I saw as well as a uh, artistic piece. Like he he likes what he he's proud of what he did with it. So yeah, I think it's more of a, he did with the sequel. He may have got a little more freedom, and so he got to do what he wanted to do, which Ocean's Eleven may not have been as loose. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's that, why he likes it more. I think Ocean's Eleven was such a smash hit that they trusted him, and he was like, "Let me try these things." And you know, it didn't necessarily work in the context of a story, but I would agree that it does look good, and that the the soundtrack is very good. So there, and there are good elements to it. And you know, I I honestly don't remember much about Ocean's Thirteen. This one ends with the Night Fox in Terry Benedict's backyard, watering the grass of the Bellagio or whatever. So it sets up for Thirteen. This one made enough money to warrant a 13. So I think that, you know, if, if I remember right, maybe he takes aspects of the first one, gets back to the root, or gets back to the root of the first one, takes aspects from the second one, and Ocean's 13 goes up a level. But all in all, I think Steven Soderbergh, I, 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 I'll continue to sing praises to the guy. I think Steven Soderbergh is... Uh, really one of the few really one of the few auteurs in film today and I, I the reason why i say that is because a lot of his movies like a lot of his movies he has full creative control and a lot of directors in hollywood today don't have that i mean i mean he like yeah just recently he did logan lucky 
What You Don't Know About Logan. Great like, movie. It's a great movie. It really is. I what, love it. But one thing that one thing that he had that most directors don't have, it, you think complete creative control. No, he had complete creative control. He had creative control over everything. And I think it's a great thing. And uh, it, with, it can take a while for a director to get that kind of yeah. uh, trust from a studio. And I, so. th- and I think that's, I think that's what's special about Steven. So, you know, Steve, Steven will always be one of my favorite directors. Did you know he also did Magic Mike? Yep. I didn't. Yep. I just found that out did live he, on tape. Did he, did he do Magic Mike too? He was involved, but he didn't direct it. Okay. He produced it, but he directed Magic Mike the first. Yeah. The same year, uh, yeah, the same year as Behind the Candelabra. Did he do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he did, did do that. that. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Well, there you go. I think we're about done. I just have one more note because okay. just based on the the childishness of this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, big time pranksters. Right. They, they work so well together. That is yeah. the one thing that continues in this movie is that the, those two work so well together and some of my favorite scenes are them interacting with each other where they don't even say complete sentences they just know what each other is thinking there's a in the first movie there's a scene where danny ocean is talking to rusty rusty doesn't say a word but danny is able to have the full conversation they have the inverse of that in this one where uh danny ocean or rusty is having the full conversation and danny doesn't say anything they're sitting there watching an episode of happy days and at the end, he just goes, this guy playing Potsy is amazing. <laughs> but the dynamic between those two goes off screen because before the filming began of this movie, Brad Pitt put out a memo to all the crew members saying that they were only allowed to address George Clooney as Danny Ocean or Mr. Ocean. Eventually, Clooney found out and got back at, by, back at Pitt by putting bumper stickers on the back of his car. Some of them uh, read, I'm gay and I vote. And another one said small penis on board. <laughs> so take that home with you. Realistically, what I'm just trying to say is don't mess with Danny Ocean. Well, it'll you get know, you. Don't mess with George I'm Clooney. Gonna, get you. I'm gonna. I'm glad they're both pranksters and, and can have fun with each other. Those are both really lame pranks. Agreed. Really? Like, I, I wouldn't even say having the cast call it Mr. Ocean is even a prank. That's no. just weird. Yeah. <laughs> This bumper sticker is putting a bumper sticker on somebody's car. Definitely a prank. Sure, that's a, that's an actual that's an actual act of doing something. Right. Yeah, but just saying, Mr. Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> that's stupid. That's stupid. Come on, Brad. Come on, Brad. Um, well, that's it then. I think we're done now for sure. Yeah. Uh, let's do the game now, where we try to guess. What the Rotten Tomatoes score of this movie is after we just spent a good amount of time talking about how not awesome it is. I have a feeling which side of of uh, the fresh rotten spectrum it'll be on. We need a theme song for the game. <laughs> we do. We should we should try to get a theme song for the game. That'd be fun. You're fired. <laughs> yeah, let's get another music. I quit. You can't. You are fired. Well, since you've recently been fired from your uh, <laughs> job of creating a theme song, let's have you go first. What do you think the score is? I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with about uh, between 35 and 40 percent. Oh, you're gonna give us a range? Nah, you get a number. Okay, ain't no thir- range in this. Okay, 38. Okay, 38. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm gonna go with a dead even 50. 
I'm trying. I'm so I gave the first one really high numbers. Yeah, I think I, we all did. Yeah, yeah. We all and did. I'm trying to think. Although you did give it higher. Than I we gave did. it really, really high. But then the if I remember right, it was only about eighty percent, right? Yeah, it wasn't very high on the Rotten Tomatoes score. Something like that. I mean, which which was it seemed low to me. It's pretty high. Yeah, for this kind of movie. For me, though, it was like for sure. such such a good movie. So I'm sure. trying to think. Uh, I'd say about what'd you say, thirty something. Yeah, which one did you pick? I forgot already. Thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. I go with forty-five. Forty-five. So thirty-eight, fifty, forty-five. According to the thermometer, this movie has a 55% ranking. That's 5% away from being fresh. Yeah. Gotta be 60. The audience score is 60. Mm, That's a rare rare consensus between uh, critics and and viewers. Yeah. Not often are they that close. No. Usually, it seems like. I don't know. Cool. Well, 55%. All right. Do we agree with that? Oh yeah, how many henchmen would we give this one? I was gonna. I uh, were we doing henchmen? That's what we what did, did we last, do last time. Henchmen. I don't remember. We did one to eleven henchmen. Oh, so do we have to do one to twelve now? No. Oh, one to eleven <laughs> still. Yeah. Um. Five out of eleven. I give it a five. Yeah, I think five is fair. See, I'm gonna go the opposite way. I'm gonna give it a three. I didn't. That's I did, really I, bad. I really did not care for this. This the, is less than the thirty percent. Yeah the the plot, the story, the way it was done. It just, especially coming off one that I that I consider one of my favorite movies, uh, is just very very upsetting. Hmm. Hmm. It's yeah. all good. Mm. No, it's not. It's not all good. <laughs> Don't tell him it's good when it's not good. <laughs> How dare you comfort anyone? Uh, okay then. Okay, we got three out of eleven. Five, two fives out of two fives out of eleven. That's it for this week. Next week or next episode, we'll be back with Ocean's Thirteen, the final installment of the Ocean's trilogy. We'll figure out what these guys get into next, and if they just add a thirteenth, I don't really know what happens. I'm gonna go cook some. Do they add a thirteenth? Yeah. 13th? So uh, before we leave, is Catherine Zeta-Jones the twelfth? I assumed so because she was like laughing and or is, joking with him at the or end. Or is Julia Roberts the twelve because she becomes part of the crew? Oh, it's probably Julia. I, uh, yeah. I don't maybe. know. Maybe they didn't count right and they did thirteen and twelve. That could be. I don't know. Is Catherine Zeta Jones in thirteen? I think. So. I think they all come back, but I don't remember for sure. I don't want to be confident. I don't think she does. I don't know. I don't know either. I've not seen it yet, so I Ever? guess we'll find out. Ever That's be- because of her role in the in this movie's heist, I'm going to say it's probably Julia. Yeah, because she actually plays a role, whereas Catherine Zeta Jones doesn't. That that makes a lot the same of, level. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll find out next next time what the, who the thirteenth person is if there's going to be one. Bye.